so this is the third week of this uh, series we're calling First Things First. We've been going through, you know, what do you want to be true of your year? How do you, how do you make it happen? And, uh, and we've been looking at it from an individual point of view. And then today, we're going to take a look at, at, at the organization of E3 and talk about where we want to go as, as an organization. Um, but we're going to do it in, in such a way that we call this Vision Sunday. Um, and I was sharing earlier with some folks that, that that's kind of a, ch a challenge uh, to me because I don't naturally think in terms of vision. And let me explain to you what, what I mean um, by way of, of acknowledging that you know, tomorrow is, is Martin Luther King Day where we celebrate uh, the legacy that Dr. King gave us. And, and in fact, uh, in light of that, uh, I'm really excited to remind you guys that on Friday evening we're having in this space uh, a discussion about what, what's called intersectionality and race. So we're going to have a group of people, a diverse panel of people who are just discussing what it means to be, you know, a man, a woman, uh, and, and where, where race uh, intersects with those dynamics. And I think it's a great thing that we are trying to have those conversations as a community in light of, of Martin Luther King and his legacy. Um, and you guys probably know, I mean, just some of the most uh, bedrock foundational uh, rhetoric and speeches of our, of our nation, especially recent history, come from Dr. King and the Civil Rights Movement. And, and, uh, and he gave this amazing speech, you know, at the watch on Marsh, uh, Mar Washington, the March on Washington. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you know the story, but uh, he actually had a version uh, of, of the dream speech is what they called it. He had multiple versions of it. He had preached it or, or given it multiple times and he had the text of it on the podium with him. And he had given most of the speech uh, that I have a dream, the substance of it. But at some point, uh, there was a gospel singer who sang earlier. Her name was Mahalia Jackson. And she was Dr. King's favorite uh, uh, gospel singer. And she had sung and uh, he, was, uh, he was giving the speech. And, and all of a sudden, Mahalia Jackson says, uh, off, uh, from, from just kind of off the, the center of the poem, she says, tell him about the dream, Martin. Tell him about the dream. And when that happened, when she said that, he took his notes and he just pushed them to the side of the podium. And then he just started talking from his heart. And a lot of the, the, the phrases that we would associate with that speech came not from prepared notes, but from his heart. Just like just speaking on that gut, visceral level. And so that's what I'm going to do today. And one of uh, a guy that I just heard this quote this week, he, I loved what he said. He said, listen, it wasn't the I have a plan speech. It was the I have a dream speech. And so I really gravitate to the I have a plan speech. And I like to kind of lay out, this is how we're going to get here. I had to kind of like, I had to kind of just like turn that side of my brain off today. So I'm not going to focus on the plan. I'm going I'm to try to just focus on, on the dream part of it. And I hope that, that I can just do a little bit of, of justice to what God is doing in our community and what I think he wants to do. Um, so we, we had what we call an ownership seminar yesterday. Uh, if you're an owner of this, of this church, can you stand up? We don't have members, we have owners. Can you guys just stand up? Can we just acknowledge the owners of this place? 
you guys like banjo better than you like owners. Like, so thank you. Um, so, uh, you know, these are the folks that step up to take, literally take ownership of this, of this uh, church in a vital, substantial, qualitative way. Um, and, and we do things in these, what we call ownership seminars, where we just walk through the DNA of the church because we want everybody who, who wants to be an owner, we want you to know what it is that you are owning. Um, so yesterday, we, we had a seminar, and we have the names of the new owners, uh, Dan Bellamy, Denise Waterman, Brian Waterman, John and Blake DeSazo, and Karen Gibbons. So um, we always love it when people just step up and say, I want to put this thing on uh, my shoulders, you know, along with the staff and wise counsel and the other owners. Um, and during that time, you know, we just walked through, like I said, the DNA stuff. And, and I want to kind of uh, just show you guys something that, that I mentioned to them yesterday. You know, we've been developing a new logo. Um, and, and I want to kind of just show you what, what that logo or remind you what it looks like. It's already kind of out there. You know, um, we've been toying with these circles and uh, a talented designer in our community uh, uh, developed this for us. And we're continuing to play with it. Now, these circles have meaning uh, to me. And I've always been fascinated with uh, not just circles, but like Venn diagrams and how circles overlap. And so I want to show you some of the stuff that we walked through with uh, folks yesterday, what these circles actually mean to me. So on, the, on one level, we would say these circles uh, represent, if you're an old timer at E3, they represent faith, authenticity, and emerging culture. We used to say this all the time as a tagline. Uh, also our vision, also just some values that we hold very, very deeply. Faith, authenticity, and emerging culture. But then, um, you know, what we've been introducing over the past couple of years is the idea that we have a process and a strategy. And so we added to that the idea that these circles also represent the process, worship, uh, groups, and service. And, uh, and so we, we kind of talk about this with people, but there's another part that I think is important for this discussion today. And that is, I haven't talked about this in a, in a, in a couple of years maybe, or a year. Um, I believe that every human being in a way, has three center, centric, uh, cent central needs. That if, if you just took faith out of the equation and, and you just sat down with, with your friends and, and, and we talked together honestly, and we could sort of say, what are the deepest desires of your heart? What do they look like? And don't talk to me about money or, or, or a nice house. Talk to me about what is it that you need at the soul heart level? I believe that it could be boiled down to three things. I think every human being needs, uh, they need the, the ability to grow and change. We call it transformation. Church, uh, old church word might be holiness or a sanctification. I think every human being desires a connection with other people to know that they're not alone. And I believe that every human being wants to know that their life matters. They have purpose. You're not an accident and your passions and your strengths and your abilities are not an accident. And so part of uh, being uh, around E3 is to kind of engage in these, the meaning of these, these three things. And, and I love the idea that a Venn diagram is, is the place where all of these sort of intersect at, at one point. You know, and so 
if you have transformation and connection with no purpose, you really are never going to get anything done. You're never going to get people like the Monroes who, who uh, moved to Guatemala to, because they just know that they have a purpose and a mission in life. If you have transformation and purpose and no connection, you're going to have a lot of isolated people. You need all three of these elements to really be an amazing church. Hi, did you catch that? Elements? Right over you. If I was playing a banjo, you guys would have been right there with me. So, so uh, what I want to do in our time together is look at this uh, really extraordinary story that, that Connor uh, read for us out of the Gospel of Mark. Because I think uh, when I was preparing for today and I was trying to think of like what just grabs me from the gut level, what grabs me from the gut level, uh, I, I just thought of this story. Because this story to me encapsulates so much of what I want this community to be about. And I'm just going to unpack some things uh, about it and then tell you what, what, what I'm observing about it in light of who we are. So um, I'm just going to start. It, it appears in Mark uh, 5. Uh, chapter 5, and, and the text just says that Jesus and his disciples came to the other side of the lake, to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as Jesus got out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tombs. Uh, this man lived among the tombs, and no one was ever strong enough to restrain him, even with a chain. He had been secured many times with leg irons and chains, but he broke the chains and he smashed the leg irons. No one was tough enough to control him. He would howl and he would cut himself with stones. So we start with just this extraordinary, really provocative image of this man, uh, this human being who is living among tombs and, and cutting his flesh and, and, and howling like an animal. And Jesus, you know, comes to the, uh, the shore of the lake and instantly he's confronted with this person. And if you could just really put yourself into the story and imagine what that must have been like, you know, I don't know if you've ever like walked into a room and somebody just instantly comes up before you can even sort of breathe or, or get, your, get yourself centered and someone's kind of like, just messing with you in some way. And there's just this idea of like this person, we're told that there's, a, there's an unclean evil spirit. And, and everything about this story that we're going to unpack is, is uh, just off the charts in terms of what Jesus is encountering. Uh, so we have evil spirit. We have a man living in a graveyard. We have cutting himself. We have secured with chains and so strong that he breaks the chains over and over again. And he's howling and he's screaming and he runs up to Jesus. And from a Jewish point of view, you have to understand that like, um, this is about as unclean uh, as you can get. So, you know, so the, the, the Jewish people very concerned with like, listen, uh, we, we believe that we're supposed to keep ourselves set apart from, from certain things that, that just we don't we don't think God likes, you know? And so we distance ourselves from things, particularly people who live in tombs, you know, particularly people who, who, who have unclean spirits. And so the Jewish people are just like, listen, uh, uh, and if you were a Jewish person reading this story, you'd be like, holy smokes, how unclean can it get? The answer is none more unclean. It is e extreme. It is extreme. And Jesus uh, just gets out of the boat and this man comes up to him. And then the, the story goes on because there's 
another level of, of even extremity. And I read, a, I read, by the way, I read a theologian said that if you were a Jew reading this story, it gets so extreme that it almost becomes comedy. It almost becomes like, no, how, wait, he's going to be that extreme? And then another thing on top of it. I think we can't latch on to that, uh, that idea. But I just want to let you know kind of this is what we're dealing with. And so the man, he saw Jesus from far away and he runs and kneels before him shouting, what have you to do with me, Jesus, the son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. Um, most people think that like, this is not a polite greeting to Jesus. Like he runs up and, and he says, son of the most high God. There's nothing in that that necessarily communicates respect. It's literally just saying, this is who you are, right? So swear to God that you won't torture me. And Jesus has already commanded him, the text says, unclean spirit, come out of the man. All right, so that's where we're at so far in the story. Then Jesus asks him, what is your name? He responds, Legion is my name because we are many. And they pleaded with Jesus not to send them out of that region. And this is where sort of the last level of extreme uncleanliness starts to enter the picture. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside. They say, send us into the pigs. Let us go into the pigs. So let me pause right here for just a moment. Um, if you know anything about Judaism, like you know, like just the pig is an unclean animal. So it's the same way with Muslim people. Um, it is not considered kosher. You don't own a pig. You don't raise pigs. Uh, in some rabbi, rabbinic literature, they say you can't even say the word. Don't even say the word pig. Just say the creature. The creature. You know, and part of this comes out of uh, the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, where God's like, listen, you cannot eat the pigs. They're not, they're, not, uh, they're not safe. They're not what they call kosher. And so all of a sudden you have this picture of like these unclean demons, these unclean spirits. And they're like, hey, put us into the unclean animals. We'll find a home there. I don't know what they're thinking. And so Jesus gave them permission. So the unclean spirits, they left the man and they went into the pigs then the herd of about 2,000 pigs rushed down the cliff into the lake and drowned. This is a part where, the, where a Jewish audience might be like, that's pretty funny if you think about it. <laughs> There's another level to this, by the way, just real quickly, um, on a very practical human level. You know, in Jesus's time um, and in the time that this story was, was written down and shared, uh, the Jewish people are an occupied people. Uh, anybody know just history? Uh, who they're, who's their occupiers? Rome, okay. So what, what, what did the demon, unclean spirit, what did they say their name was? Legion. What's the basic Roman military unit? A legion. Now, uh, more poignantly, uh, there was a legion, a uh, Roman legion military unit based in Palestine, uh, this area of, of the Middle East, and uh, every Roman legion had a flag and a symbol. And let me show you what, the, what the, the 10th legion symbol was. So the, the 10th legion's symbol was the boar, the pig. And so some, you know, a lot of people think that like, not only do you have these spiritual things and you have this kosher thing, like uh, this is a commentary also on Rome 
and, and on the uncleanliness of Rome. And Jesus saying, listen, uh, who's in charge here? Is it Rome or, or is there somebody else in charge now? The pigs go off the cliff into the lake and drown. So you get the extremity of the situation. You've got occupied Rome. You've got swine. You've got, now, I, by the way, I love, I, I can dig me some bacon. Banjos and bacon, my new, uh, my new band name. Um, so you have unclean animals, you have uh, unclean spirits, you have a man who has just lost his humanity. He's howling like an animal and he's, he's inflicting damage on his, sin, uh, on his skin. And Jesus sends out the unclean spirit. And then there's this commentary of the people who will watch what happens. Those who tended the pigs ran away and told the story in the city and in the countryside. And people came to see what happened. They came to see Jesus and they saw um, the man who used to be demon possessed. And they saw the very man who had been filled with many demons sitting there fully dressed and completely sane, restored. Restored humanity, restored human being. And they were filled with awe. And those who had actually seen what had happened to the demon-possessed man, they told the other people, hey, you should have seen what Jesus did with these pigs. And then they pleaded with Jesus to leave their region. That's a, a very uh, troubling statement. A lot of people really struggle about like, Why did they ask him? It could have been like, that was a big, I mean, it was a big economic impact. You know, huge. So we don't really know what, what's behind that, but we, you know, people try to conje uh, conjecture. So this is where it gets amazing. While Jesus was climbing into the boat again, the one who had been demon-possessed pleaded with Jesus to let him come along as one of his disciples. Now, I will tell you that uh, if you just read that outside of context, I mean, it's a significant thing. For the Gospel of Mark, which is you know, the story that we're in, it's heightened because Mark has this thing about the disciples in Jesus and the questions come up over and over again. Who is a real disciple of Jesus? Who really follows Jesus? And a lot of people that you think would follow Jesus in Mark, they don't seem to follow Jesus. Peter and the 12 are actually portrayed as really struggling to literally follow Jesus. They resist, you know? They blow, they blow it in terms of their understanding. So when this man who is what? the most unclean of the most unclean, a person that is radically distanced from the Jewish people, God's people. And he's the one who says, can I come with you? Can I be your disciple? Hardly anybody in the entire gospel of Mark ever actually says that. We just assume that uh, all the disciples, the, the 12, were good church kids. They weren't. But the demon-possessed, unclean, grave-dwelling guy who hung out with pigs is the one who says, Jesus, can I come with you and learn from you? Can I? And then Jesus defies our expectations. Verse 19, Jesus would not allow it. What? Instead, he says, what? Go home to your own people 
and tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he has shown you mercy. And the man went away and began to proclaim in the 10 cities, which is a region there, all that Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. This man asks the question that hardly anybody asks in the gospel of Mark. Can I come with you and be your disciple? And Jesus says, listen, actually what I need you to do is go be a missionary. Go be a missionary. Go out and tell people. And so that to me is this mind-blowing uh, like story of Jesus kind of saying, uh, how do you tell people about me? What is my agenda in the world? What is the church supposed to be about? And, uh, and so what I wanna do is, we, we've seen the text, I've taught you, just made some observations. What I wanna tell you is like, this is what it speaks to me on Vision Sunday. The first thing I wanna tell you is that, listen, uh, no matter what uncleanliness, what brokenness, what dirt, what secret you have, or what your friends have, Jesus is not afraid of it. You see, we think that we need to protect Jesus from, from broken and messy people sometimes. Yeah, just like the image is like Jesus, is, he rides the boat up to the shore and he hops out on the shore. And like we, we sometimes would be like, like, like get between the, the crazy dude coming and Jesus like, whoa, whoa, don't get next to Jesus because you might make him unclean. And Jesus says, you don't understand the way this works. People's brokenness does not make Jesus unclean. It's the reverse. You're not gonna surprise me and shock me by telling you, me you struggle with things. You're not. You might be like, no, Eric, you don't understand. I struggle with like the top, uh, top three, top five Christian sins ever. I don't know. Somebody somewhere has a list, believe me. You're not gonna shock me. And we should not be the type of community that is ever surprised by people's brokenness. And we shouldn't be afraid of it. We should expect it. Because Jesus will not be sullied or, or, uh, or messed up or, or drugged through the dirt by their brokenness. The way it works is that actually Jesus changes that brokenness. And understand, this is the most extreme portrayal of brokenness you could find in this culture. Pigs, graves, howling at the, uh, howling at the moon, cutting yourself, and oh, and, and maybe some Roman imagery up there. And Jesus is like, bring it, 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 bring it. Second thing, Jesus comes to radically transform human beings. The people look and they see this guy who is howling and living in the graves. And what's he doing? He's sitting there with Jesus, safe, sane, right mind, learning. And we, uh, we meaning the big church, you know, for so long have been so concerned with, yes, but did Jesus share the gospel with that guy? Did Jesus tell him that he was gonna die on the cross for his sins? Did he do that? Did Jesus blow the Roman road illustration? He might have. Or did Jesus just say, listen, you're a human being who's lost some of your humanity. And I can give you life right here, right now. And heaven, well, heaven will come when you die. But how about life right here, right now? How about sanity right here, right now? How about compassion and comfort and connection and purpose right here, right now? Right here, right now. Abundant life. 
I want to be, I want to be a place where uh, we are a community that, that, that worries about heaven when heaven comes. Heaven will come. We all have an expiration date. But Jesus wants to say, what about right here, right now? Now, let me be clear. Jesus doesn't want to leave you where you're at either. He doesn't say to that man, oh, that's cool. I'll catch you next time I'm in the neighborhood. He doesn't want to leave you where you're at. But he's not going to say, he's not going to say hey, if you died tonight, what would happen to your soul? He wants right here, right now. Let's talk about it. Last thing I would say is this. <laughs> you don't have to be trained to be a missionary. You don't have to train, be trained to be a part of inviting people into God's story. The man was living among graves and cutting himself and bound with chains. And then he's like, can I be a disciple? Can I get my training? Can I go to the growth groups I need to go to? And Jesus like says, no, just get out of here and do what? Go home to your people who knows you, who understands you and what? Tell them what God has done in your life. Salvation leads directly to invitation to mission. He doesn't say go to seminary. He just says, go tell somebody what God's doing in your life. I want us to be a community that is so passionate about what God's doing in our lives and our friend's life that we just go. No complicated evangelism strategy. Let me tell you what God's done in my life. I was this way and then I met Jesus and now I'm that way. So let's go back to these circles. You see, I love this story because I see every single one of these things in play in this encounter, especially the deep needs of humanity. Growth and transformation, check. Connection with other people, check. He's living alone in the tombs. Now he's with people. And Jesus says, go home and connect with your community. And he says, purpose, he says, yeah, guess what? Hey, guess what, crazy pig guy? He says, your story matters. And I think if that was me, I'd go, but I shouldn't tell anybody about the pigs, right? And I think Jesus probably said, no, that's actually the part of the story you really need to tell them. You get that? We think we want to leave out the broken, messy parts and just tell them the Jesus parts of the story. And I think Jesus is like, no, the actual broken, messy parts the extreme uncleanly parts of your, that's actually the part of the story that people need to hear the most. So this is my dream. This is my dream. This is the place I want this community to be in 2019. A place where we take people and we speak to their deep needs and we take them through a process of transformation that is simple. Worship together, be in a growth group and serve together because we think God will transform your life. And so my question is to you today, um, I'm gonna speak to the people who, who have already been changed. You know, when we did uh, the vision campaign uh, last year, we said, who's your one more? Who's God sent you to? Who has God sent you to? Because God did not rescue you from the scrap heap of humanity to not be sent. 
So who do you need to share your story with? And this is the way I started writing down just dreams and images and, and thoughts about who uh, people I know here. Because listen, the, the people that God has sent you to, the people that he says, listen, go tell, go tell people what God has done to you. I dream of people out there who, who need to hear God's story. I dream of like a, a dad who has become apathetic to his family. And I dream of him having an encounter with Jesus and he, and he goes to his family and he says, listen, I'm changing. I'm sorry. I confess. I've been checked out. And I'm going to re-engage with being a father and a husband. I dream of, 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 of a retired woman, right? Who is like, listen, I'm done. I crossed the finish line. And I dream of her getting her heart turned on fire for issues of justice and reconciliation in the world. And saying, you know what? There are problems on this planet that break God's heart. And I could be just like coasting to the finish line and instead I'm going to engage in a new mission and a new purpose and I'm going to just be in those discussions. I dream of a young married couple who are like, listen, we're just starting our life out and we don't know anything. But we want to open up our home to a growth group because we know how much it matters. I dream of, uh, of young men and women saying, I think God is calling me to to be a leader and an influencer in this generation. And then I dream of them going to older people in this congregation and saying, just teach me. Just teach me. Those are the places that I want to see us go. And I don't have a plan for it. I do a little bit. But I want you to know that this is my dream. And I just want to ask you, what we ask people in the ownership seminars, can, can, can my dream, can our dream be your dream? Because God does crazy radical things with people. And he's doing it right here, right now, in our community. And what if he wants to do more? And what if he wants to use you to do more, you to do more, you to do more, you to do more? Would you be willing to say, God, I really wanted to like be just hang out and be your disciple and get in the boat and ride around because riding around with Jesus is probably pretty cool. But if you tell me to go, then that's what I'll do. That's what I'll do. That's the type of people that God's looking for. That's the type of people that we are so grateful for. And that's where I think God wants to take us in 20. 20- 19. Amen. Amen.